Amen. Lots of excitement. I like it. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Wow. That was really fast. Acts chapter 19 is where we're going to camp out again tonight. We camped out here on Sunday. The title of Sunday's message was A Powerful Pathway. We're gonna, tonight we're going to do A Powerful Pathway Part 2. Amen. Amen. In Acts 19, um, we, we, we learned a few things. First of all, in verses 1 through 7, we started off and we were looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 7. How many, how many passages of Scripture that we talk about for the Holy Spirit? We talked about seven. We started in John 20, verse 22. And then we went through six other patches, passages in Acts. Acts 1. Acts 2. Acts 8. Acts 9. Acts 10. We're in Acts 19. And we read Acts 11. We saw part of this pathway that the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity as far as we're concerned. This is a normative part of a real experience with the Lord. Then we started talking about and we saw that immediately thereafter that Paul began working on discipleship. Amen. All right, you'll just have to forgive me since I'm not able to do this correctly here. The discipleship. We saw that Paul went into someone's house. How long did he go? How long was he teaching there in the synagogue first? Three months. Okay, you've got to help me. I'm asking you stuff that you were here for, right? <laughs> Three months he was in the synagogue. And then what happened? Opposition rose up. And he went and found someone named Tyrannus. It's, it's interesting when you read about this in, the, in the, uh, the biblical scholars. A lot of them want to make Tyrannus some type of Greek... Uh, philosopher. I read through David Stern and David Stern says, of course they want to make him Greek. They're trying to take every Jewish part out of the Bible. <laughs> he said he was a Jew. And what he had going on there was a, a, a bait midrash. <laughs> he had the house of the, of the law. He had a, a, a teaching house that was there. So in his lecture hall, people were coming every day. I'm making a point of the timing here. So he was Three months in the synagogue. How long was he in Tyrannus' Bait Midrash? For two years. Okay, this is just what's listed. A lot of folks and a lot of things that you read say that Paul's time here in Ephesus on this trip was somewhere around three and a half years total. For Paul. For this group of people, for it to be impacted the way that they were. I just want to encourage you. This is intense study every day for two years. We want to kind of, we often want to advance faster than what God has given us. He wants us to get in here, to dig in. Elder Baj is going to help us to understand the entire discipleship process this Friday night. I'm intentionally not going over that much right at the moment. I went over it on some on Sunday, but I want us to understand and I want us to walk in discipleship as a church. The first two pieces that I see in Acts 19 are pillars of our church. They're foundational pieces. As a church, uh, for our one association, if you're not a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the fruit, with the gifts, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we may 
be encouraged by what you do, but you're not going to be part of the brotherhood. Not our brotherhood, because this is such a foundational piece. Amen. I don't know if you knew that. Amen. But it, it, is it is this important that we have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The discipleship piece. Uh, I've never been a part of a church like this one. I've never been a part. It's interesting now, I can't, everywhere I go, I look at people, I'm like, wow, what an incredible individual. If only they were being pastored or discipled by somebody. That's what I see now all over the place. I, I walk into the store and I start talking to somebody. And I find that, that they genuinely love the Lord. Like they have no idea what they're doing. Oh, if they could come to our church. If they could come to somewhere that had intense discipleship, they would become amazingly useful for the kingdom. They're genuine. They're sweet. They're wonderful. Amen. And they're not as useful as they want to be. Right? So then what was the next thing that we went to? We saw... Next, that we went to miracles. I want to look at a few scriptures that, that we didn't uh, have time to look at on Sunday. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 19. Are you all with me? Yes. Sounds quiet. Maybe you're trying to help me out with my voice here, but you can be loud. It's okay. I have a, I have a microphone. It's all right. Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. It says this. Actually, let's go back to verse 17. Romans 15, 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. <laughs> Pretty bold statement by, by Paul, right? He said, I don't have to talk about all these. Uh, I don't have to talk about theories. What I can talk to you is about the experiences that God has given me. Can you do that in your walk? Can you, can you get in front of people and say, I don't need to talk to you about what other people have said. Stories that other people haven't uh, enjoyed. I can talk to you about what God has done in my life in the field that I'm supposed to be working. If you cannot yet say that with any authority, then I challenge you. That is your next step. I challenge you to come back here. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is vital for your walk. Get under some serious discipleship. The better disciples in this church, you know what they do? They know how to go after it. They just go find people and say, teach me. They just go, um, I, I spoke one time at a men's retreat here a few years ago before we even came here. And I had just thought about and learned from an idea called tanking. I don't know if you... What tanking is, is one of those big airliners that carry fuel. And while planes are in flight, it's the most incredible thing to watch. It's the most incredible thing to, when you really think about it. This plane is flying several hundred miles an hour. Another plane will come up to it, has the little nozzle. They nozzle in right underneath the big tanker plane. They get what they need, and then they disconnect, and they fly on their way, and the, 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 the main tanker just keeps flying. Can I encourage you that that is the right way to think about discipleship? If you're always wanting someone to come to you, hey, I'm ready to be discipled, now you got to come to me. That's not really the way that this works. Amen. Try not to get into your message here, Baj. He'll, he'll, he'll explain this much further. But the idea is we're supposed to be looking for the people that God has put in our life as authority, for those that we want to get something from, that we want to learn from, that God has spoken to. And what we do is we say, where are you going? Then I'm just going to come right up right beside you. Because I don't need you to stop what you're doing because you're trying to accomplish the will of the Lord. 
So I am going to come and fly and get, try to get what I need from you, and then we'll, I'll, we'll both go on our way. Either for a short time, I look at that as a daily thing, or as a long term, you, you get connected before the Lord sends you out where you need to go. Okay? So that is, that is where we are here. And here it says, verse 19. He's talking about his experiences by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to uh, Lycrium, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Part of what miracles do is it sets the stage and say the, the hand of the Lord is really here. You know what that word there for miracles oftentimes is not the only word that's translated, but it's in the Greek. It's 1411. It's dunamis. It's dynamite. It's something explosive and powerful. That's what these works are supposed to do. It's supposed to have the same kind of effect as a stick of dynamite. It's supposed to cause us to come... <laughs> if something were to go off, we had an event a few months ago. We were here in the service. It was still light outside. We heard what I thought at first was someone banging on the glass. It was not someone banging on the glass. It was someone enjoying their own gun range that's not actually a gun range right behind our property. I was like... <laughs> what I love about my church is... <laughs> Had we not sat some of you down, all the men in the church would have been out there. But several of us went out there to go, like, what is going on? You can't hear those type of things and, not, and it not catch your attention, even if you're not super close. These miracles are designed, signs and wonders and miracles. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. <coughs> God also testified to it. Well, because I'm starting in verse 4, it's kind of hard to figure out the it there. Let's back up just one phrase into verse 3. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various dunamis, powerful workings, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according, uh, distributed according to his will. Guys, he gives us authority. We have seen miracles in this church. By the way, uh, we started off the service and we were praying for Jennifer. Jennifer was in pain and unable to see. She has, was having difficulty with her eyes. Jennifer, are you in any pain right now? No. Not at all? Okay. Wait, there was two parts. Hang on. Are you having any problems with your vision right now? Amen. Right here. <clears throat> Let's not lessen when God is doing powerful works in our midst. Let's not lessen the fact that a few weeks ago, Tara was healed from a back problem. Let's not lessen the fact that whatever's happening in your life, I'm not only trying to single these folks out. I'm trying to say I'm expecting miracles all the way around. I want God to confirm his presence in our midst. First uh, Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles 12 and verse 28. Say there when you're there. 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 Uh, did I say Chronicles? No. Or Corinthians. Okay. I was just testing you guys. My bad. 
1 Corinthians 12, 28. I'm glad y'all love me. I'm glad this is family. Amen. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles. Also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? These are and a list of gifts that, this, that God gives through his spirit is a miraculous working spirit. God gives the gift of miracles. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. 12, 12 says this, the things that mark an apostle. If someone calls themselves an apostle, you know it's popular in our modern American church culture for people to go around calling themselves apostles. They actually have it on business cards. They have it on billboards. They have it on stickers that they put on vehicles. Apostle such and such. The things that mark an apostle are not the fanciness of your vehicle or the thread count of your, you know, the style of your suit. It's signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. (laughs) If you're seeing sign, wonders, and miracles, then maybe you can consider them, start considering if they're an apostle. Until then, that's not the mark yet. Take a look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. Look at this. Matthew eleven twenty says this. Then Jesus began to denounce. Everybody say denounce. denounce. That's not good. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Because they did not repent. It's amazing to me. <laughs> Why wouldn't God just come along and do enough miracles till the whole world believed what they saw? Because the miracles here, as a believer, they encourage us. They, they show that God's favor is upon us. But these folks did not repent, even though they had seen many miracles. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been formed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If these people who were destroyed had seen what you had seen, they would have fallen on their faces. By the way, they were destroyed. How much more judgment is this person, or are these groups worthy of? Verse 22, But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Miracles are not only a sign to us, it is not only designed to be powerful in our midst, it could, mark, it could stand as a powerful mark against us if we're not moved correctly by it. 
Take a look at Matthew 24, verse 24. Matthew 24, verse 24. says this, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. (laughs) The reason I bring this up is we're wanting to see God move. I'm wanting to see God do miracles in our midst. But what I'm not doing is I'm not ignoring these other parts that walk us into this the proper way. We don't want, I'm not just asking for this. People have gotten so concerned with this in, in some set segments of Christianity that they've, they've just totally ignored these just to skip to here. That creates a problem because then they don't know if it's really true according to His Word or if it's been actually performed by the Holy Spirit. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 since we're here in Matthew. Let me just add this one in. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Next verse. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Seems like they wouldn't be able to do those things unless they knew him, but apparently that's not the case. (laughs) We're seeking the God of the miracle. We're not seeking the miracle. Amen? We're seeking to have such a close relationship with Him that miracles are a part of what goes on. But that's not even what we're seeking. We're seeking Him. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. says this, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Amen. We have, we want to see the true power of Christ. We want to see God's power at work in us and do mighty signs among us. But it's because we're full of his Holy Spirit. We understand his word, and so we understand his heart, and so this is a part of what goes on. Now, let's turn back to Acts chapter 19. Let's look at the next section. We talked about the seven sons of Sceva, starting in verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Again, these folks, their job was to drive out demons like to see what that looks like on their business card, right? What do you do? I'm a professional exorcist, right? They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. <laughs> that's, that's their line. That's the mantra that they're going with. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
I put this section, I, I see it as the need for holiness. There needs to be a distinction. Uh, Judah read this uh, at the beginning of service. Let's turn to Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45 and 7. You there with me? You love righteousness and hate wickedness. This is a song by the sons of Korah. This is actually a wedding song, by the way. What an interesting section in the middle of a wedding song, right? You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I'm sure in the near future we're going to be learning about a connection between the fact that the better that we do at finding a distinction in our life, the more joy that we find in the Lord. We love righteousness. We hate wickedness. We love righteousness. We hate wickedness. If you still have not yet grown to hate wickedness in your own life, then you do not understand this yet. You still must pursue Him. You need to get back in and get filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, for the tenth time, for the 900th time, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Find someone who can help you to understand that it is your job to reflect the true heart of God. Amen. If he's mad, you should be mad. If he's joyful, yes. you should be joyful. Amen. If he's indifferent, you should be indifferent. I can't actually imagine a time when I think that the Lord will ever be indifferent. Whatever he is, though, is what I want to be. Whatever he's feeling, like, no, I just want to wait. Lord, I don't know what to feel right now. I'm just going to wait until I feel, until till I get my heart in alignment with you. Amen. That is righteousness. It is. The discussions that, that, that we've had in the past few days in the hospital. Uh, Pastor Matt, just a stud. Talked to a relative today, and I wanted to get saved right there. I was like, oh, that's so good. Lord. Goodness gracious. It was a powerful, he came with such truth that you know what I, even if I didn't know him well, I say this is a man who loves righteousness and hates wickedness. There was no wiggle room in that, in that discussion whatsoever. It was a powerful time. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3, verse 17. Malachi 3.17. It says this. I still hear pages turning. I'll let you get there. I'm sorry. Malachi 3.17. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Underneath holiness here is definitely this idea of distinction. You've got to have distinction if you're going to have holiness. 
the more that we seek after trying to emulate the world in any way, with what we wear, with what we say, with what we know, with where we go, there's a lack of distinction, and God is about bringing distinction back into his own home, about to his own house. Turn to Psalm 86, 11. Psalm 86, verse 11. Psalm 86, 11 says this. Teach me your way, O Lord. <laughs> Teach me your way, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer before. I have. I've prayed from Psalm 86. Lord, teach me your way. If you teach it to me, I want to walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. What happens when your heart is undivided? You fear his name. You fear the proper thing that you're supposed to fear. The fears of the world do not, do not impact you. You fear him and you fear him only. Which is what? That's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom as Proverbs teaches us. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 19. It says this, I will give them an undivided heart. <laughs> so in the psalm, the psalmist says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. In Ezekiel, God says, I will give them an undivided heart. And put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, what, you know what you will have an impossible time to do? To follow his degrees, decrees if you have a divided heart. We have to have a distinction. I'm going to just put it this way. We have to have an integrity. And, and the word integrity deals with wholeness. An undivided heart speaks to one who has integrity. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Yes, we all know that. Amen? Yes? Amen. Okay, so here's the question. According to God's standards, how full of integrity are you? Do you have a divided heart? Are there things... Um, Pastor Matt and I were talking about this today, driving around. I mean, I know what you're saying is true. I just don't like the way that you said it. You know that what I said was true, and you prefer that I say it to you differently? If you want to get me upset, just come up to me and say that. Please say that to me. We're going to throw down. And if you want to go a little bit further, not only say, I know what you're saying is true, I just don't like the way you said it, let me help you to say it better. So what you're saying is this. You have a completely divided heart. That's what you just said. That's what came out of your mouth. I know truth. What you said is true. But instead of me putting down my flesh and saying, thank you for telling me the truth, I prefer that you say it so my flesh doesn't rise up so that it makes it easier on me to take the truth that I should be wanting anyway. 
No. No. I'm just not going to do it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If I thought that it would help, I'll have to share. I'll have to share a video with you, not in the pulpit, but there's a video that I have of just some slapping going on. It's in. <laughs> made my day. I eventually. Well, it's the scene of the guy just walking around. And he's slapping everybody. It's just. It's just funny. Eventually, I thought I'd put my face in there on one of the. When it turns to the guy and put Baj's face in there on a different scene and. Pastor Eric's face, you know, just slapping people. If, if I promise you, sometimes I wish that that would actually cause people to become holy because we would do it. Sometimes I may do it even though I know it may not cause it. I'm just saying. How are you at having an undivided heart, though? Literally, if we could slap it into you, we, we would, but that doesn't work. What we want to do is we want to talk truth enough to you I want to be the type of person who if someone comes up to me and tells me truth, I hear them and I say, I'm not saying that my flesh won't rise up, but I'll put it down and go, thank you. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Even if you say it to me and it's, it's poorly said, even if you don't say it well, you know what I want to do? God, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I need truth spoken into my life. It's almost like Psalm 141.5 makes a difference in us. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. How is it a kindness if a righteous man slaps you? By the way, if we start on slapping ministry, that will be the key verse for the ministry. I'm just telling you. Just, bam, t-shirts. They'll have a hand. That, that's what it'll have, man. I got it all worked out. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. If you cannot get corrected and view it as a kindness, you are still divided in your heart and you need to grow up. You'll know the more mature you get when you go, I'm embarrassed. I hate the fact that, that Judah had to call something out in me. He's younger. You know what? Thank you. Oh my God, thank you so much. Because I want to be right. I want to have a distinction between me and the rest of the world. And you don't do that by not loving correction. Not loving it. Cherishing it. It's like oil upon my head. My head will not refuse it. We learned on Monday night, one of the translations for that is, my head will not be broken by it. I will accept it. Because if I don't, it's just going to discourage my walk with the Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Starting in verse 7. Yes. Hebrews 12, 7 says this. Endure hardship as discipline. <laughs> and by the way, someone correcting you, I'm not even going to put that in the category of hardship. Just not going to do it. Do you realize sometimes Christianity has gotten so weak around us that there, there are things like, uh, woe when all men speak well of you. And people will start, if everybody's saying how great you are, then you've got a problem. 
for everybody saying how great your ministry is, you've got a problem. Right? We start talking about reading verses about persecution and you say that you're not finding a close parking place to, at the HEB. That's not persecution. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that I, I've also, I also have given glory to God when I do get a good parking place sometime. I, ha, I have to admit, oh Lord, thank you. Amen. But for me to not get it is not persecution. For me to have someone who loves me and actually cares about me and is going to speak into my life and correct me, not persecution. So don't think about it as that. It's not hardship. It's God's grace upon you. So when it says endure hardship, we're not even talking about that. That's a whole different category. That's a kindness. That's an oil. That's joy. Thank you, Lord. That's a gift. Thank you for the gift. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, I just love the word. In case you wanted, it gives commentary on itself here, yeah. right? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, <laughs> and by everyone, it means everyone, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our own spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. By the way, parents, when you neglect the proper discipline of your kids, you are no longer reflecting Christ. God disciplines us because he cares about us. If you're working on it, amen, keep working on it. But actually work on it. Be consistent with it. Help teach your kids that there are boundaries. And if they don't do what you say, there are consequences. Because you know what? That's the way God treats us. You cannot do what you want. I had a discussion for quite a while today with, with a family member of the Stevens. And the discussion was basically wrapped around the, you've been spending your whole life doing only what you want to do. How is that a mark of a believer? You, you, you choose what you like. The person actually told me, I, I, just, I, I just don't like the crucifixion. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of it. And I went, oh, wow. So <laughs> I don't like the idea of the crucifixion. Wow, because that may seem like a lot of death, but I see it as the most redemptive, grace-filled act in the history of humanity. It is the mark of triumph, not only that he was crucified, but I said I always associate the resurrection with that. Even if I just say crucifixion, I can't help but associate it with that. Huh. Means you're doing what you want. You cannot pick and choose. How, so you're telling God how you want him to rule the universe? What? No, no, that's not what I meant. That's exactly what you mean. Oh. Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his... Amen. 
Verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. To be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. <laughs> without the distinction, without the integrity, you miss out on understanding who God really is, who being able to walk in that. Let's go back to Acts 19. And let's look at verse 17. When this became known, when it became known that seven exorcists, professional exorcists, got beat up, sent out of a house, bleeding and naked. Not just naked. Back in my neck of the woods, that was, that was even worse than being naked. You were naked. <laughs> when, they, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks... Everybody say Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear. They were all seized with fear. This part is going to, we labeled it the other day as the word and spirit. What happens? They were seized with fear. That doesn't sound very happy. In the Greek, this is phobos. Phobia, fear. We're used to that word. The Hebrew word for this would be yare. It's who you put first. It's who you worship first. Paleo. The yod. The resh, which I'm terrible at drawing. I'm sorry. (laughs) And the the alf, right? It's who you're going to worship as the primary leader in your life, the primary strength in your life. That's what we're afraid of. If whatever you're afraid of, it becomes your God. It becomes your leader. Here, it's saying, when they heard about what happened to these men, they were all seized with fear. Well, what kind of fear? Is this a good kind of fear? Is this a bad kind of fear? And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. So we know that this was the fear of the Lord, because it held in high honor the word of the Lord. Do you hold the word of the Lord in high honor? Do you value it? Do you count it precious? To further, to go back to this conversation that I was just telling you about. Are you telling me that I'm not a believer? Yes. Yes, I am. I said, you can tell that I'm a believer because my words reflect the one that I must answer to. How are your words? Was my question to this lady. Do your words reflect anything that the Bible might ever even closely say to someone? Are there words that are filled of kindness or truth or discernment or hope? The person looked at me at that moment and said, I've done a horrible job my entire life. I was, to be honest, I was a little surprised. I've done a horrible job at this. This person's a non-believer. It's easy to talk believer, non-believer, right? What about us? Are you holding in high honor? Do you count it precious? Are you looking so much for integrity that what the Word says is what you think? That what the Word says is what you do and there's not a delay? 
There's not a buffering period between God telling it to you and you operating in it. Do you hold it in that honor? Or do you still have enough of you and your desires where it's mixed? Where there's not the distinction that needs to be there? It's interesting. You weren't supposed to sow two kinds of seed or have certain garments made with two different types of fabric or... The Lord was trying to say there's got to be a distinction and I want to show you where it is. There are lines that are drawn that you can't wiggle your way out of. They're just here. You've got to be able to do them. Are you holding the word in high honor? Not just because you're around a group that does. It doesn't count if, if Judah holds it in high honor and I'm standing close to him. It counts for him, amen. But what about me? It, it, it doesn't do me any good if Randy's holding the word high and I'm not. I can't let it, she, her, her righteousness doesn't spill out onto me. We each have to hold his word in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. You know how you can tell if people have high honor? They don't care about their own prestige. They don't care about their own position. They don't care to hide things from people. They're saying, the word of the Lord is right. His ways are true and just. What he does is only right. It is only perfect. I clearly messed up. I, I, that was me. I messed up because I didn't hold his word in high enough esteem, so I did my own thing. But these people were going, these were believers, and they came and they started openly confessing um, their issues. Nope, not their issues. They confessed their, their weaknesses. They're mistakes. They're oversight. If you're trying to call your wickedness by any other name than that was wicked, you're not holding, it, you're not holding his word in high enough honor yet. If you want to shade what you did and say, look, I'm sorry that you misinterpreted it there, Peyton. I apologize that you didn't hear what I said. That's not an apology. Anytime you try to pull back from just saying, it was me, buddy, I did it wrong, I was ungodly, I repent before him, and I ask your forgiveness. Anything less than that is not a sincere apology. And by the way, we all know it's not just our words, right? There has to be a heart that reflects that. Hey, I did it wrong, and I would rather get right before the Lord and not let my pride cause my heart to be divided. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all of that down. Amen? A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. When we talk about discipleship, we talk about radical amputation. You've got to cut off. You've got to take off the old man and put on the new. You've got to... If your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off, to, it's better that you enter in maim than, with, than whole, but not enter in. This idea that I, I love that they held it in high honor, they were willing to give things away no matter what the cost. <laughs> Let's just go after this for a second. Do you still have things that, that are too valuable for you to be willing to give up? 
I mean, I give up anything for the Lord. Really? If you hold his word in high enough honor, if you fear him, if you're full of integrity, you will. What about your comfort? What about your standard of living? What about how people see? What, is there anything that you're willing to hold on to? Is there anything that's still too precious to you that you're not willing to give up? These people got so involved in what the Word of God was doing, they gave up things that cost a total combined worth of 50,000 drachmas. Some people think that was as much as $2 million. It was worth a ton. Whatever the amount was, I don't even think it matters. It was valuable to them, and they said, nope, I'm giving it up. I'm giving it up. I'm giving up my house. I'm giving up my car. I'm giving up everything so that we can get this right. I have... <laughs> Let, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. I have a whole uh, law prophet writings that, we can, that I can show you later on if you'd like. But Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's take a look at verse 5. Colossians 3, 5. It says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You guys say that it says whatever? Whatever, whatever belongs. Put to death. Destroy it. Put it in the fire. Burn it up. Whatever belongs to, your, to the earthly nature. There's a lot of things that belong to our earthly nature, aren't there? I don't know if you've ever thought through this process. It's going to list some of them here, but this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's not meant to list everything. It's giving you some examples here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. When you desire a position that you think that you deserve more than someone else around you, you've got an evil desire. You've got a sinful, fleshly desire. I, I desire to be, David's got a position that I want, and I should, I should have it, and she, he shouldn't have it. That's an evil desire. That's a selfish, fleshly desire. Um, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Next verse. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Here's another list. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. And filthy language from your list, from your lips. Maybe you did okay on the first list. Maybe that first list you're like, hey man, I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I got through that one relatively unscathed. Okay, let's take a look at this one. Anger. Rage. Malice. You just got ill will towards people. Slander. Slander, we have to be careful. It's a list. We do it much easier than we think we do. I mean, I mean, you know, I like him, but the way Pastor Wade did this is really, be careful. I'm not saying that because I'm insecure in any way. I'm saying that to keep you from falling in this list of the things that you must rid yourself from. 
There are some things that we should just learn to keep to ourselves. You should take it to the Lord and ask Him about it. Just take it to the Lord. Lord, I, I think I see this in this person. Lord, A, would you show me if I'm correct? B, would you show me if I can help them with this so that I can help a brother, so that I can help a sister? I don't need to go tell everybody. It's awful quiet. Filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other. Brother, we're believers. We know not to do that. Apparently the word God still tells us this because it's part of our nature. Do not lie to each other. You ever said something that was just a shade off just to make yourself sound better? Just to make yourself feel better? Have you ever even done it and not even know why you did it? You just did it and you're like... I've, I've, done, I've done that before and went, nope, that's not right at all. Sorry, I lied. I don't even know why I lied. I'm going to now correct it. <laughs> I've done that out loud before. <laughs> like, I don't know why I just did that. Guess I got insecure... Whatever, it's not an issue, it's not a problem, it is an evil act, I lied, forgive me. It's the way, it's the way I have to kind of work through things. Like, why? I'm, I spend time trying to figure out why I'm doing it, and while that comes out, instead of just going, I had evilness in my heart, that was wrong. And it's kind of how it comes out, it's kind of a stream of thought, and I'm going, golly, well, I must have been insecure, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What I did did not please my Lord. Who cares why? Amen. Just stop doing it. Amen. If I realize how wicked it is, you know what that helps me to do? Not want to do it again. If it's an issue and I was insecure, oh, insecure, well, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. No, it's not. Just because we all have insecurities doesn't make it reasonable. Because His holiness demands it. And, and put all, and have, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. Amen. Turn back to Acts chapter 19. <laughs> And after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Um, here we got to the word direction. And it seems a little, might seem a little out of place here to have direction. Paul is saying this, got, he got clarity on what's going, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He got clarity before he gets to this last scene in Acts 19. You never know when the difficulty is about to hit you. When God speaks a word to you, you should count it as precious. You should write it down. You should put it before your face. You should go after it. If it's a little, or if it's, if it's a small issue, or if it's a big issue, you should take note of it, lest 
in our haste to just live our lives that we miss out and not accomplish what he just told us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7. In truthful speech, actually let's go back to verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. You can be discredited. Your ministry can be discredited. So do not put stumbling blocks in anyone's path. Verse 4, rather servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonment and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, Everybody say impurity. Understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. And it goes on and on and it tells us. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1. When I think about direction, the Lord has been so gracious to us and, and phrases, uh, scriptures like Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying that this is the way. Walk in it. Right or left, I believe, was the name of the, the message that Eric did several months ago. Incredible. It will explain that and talk about the directions there. To the right was the table of showbread. To the left was the menorah. In front of it, in front of you as you walked in was the altar of prayer right there. We've also been talking a lot about Isaiah 35. That should be a very familiar passage to us about the highway of holiness that only the righteous will walk thereon. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. As it's going through, he's laying out um, actually a beautiful framework of what obedience generates in his people. Look at verse 7. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but will flee from you in seven. Okay? By the way, this is, a, this is an incredibly encouraging scripture to me. People are going to try to attack you and they will be utterly decimated and sent out. They're going to attack you from one direction and, leave, and flee from you in seven. But the interesting part of this chapter is that it basically says everything. If you obey, here's what God will do. And then the second half of the chapter is if you don't obey, this is what God will do. Look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and will overtake you. Look down at verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but will flee from them in seven. It's basically a parallel. He walks through every promise. <coughs> Amen. He walks through every promise and says, this is what it looks like when you're obedient. You want direction in your life? There's a desire. There's a prerequisite that you're obedient to what God is doing. There's a, 
prerequisite that you've listened to the word in the spirit and you're moving forward in that. Amen. Let's go back to Acts 19 and then we'll wrap it up. <coughs> Acts 19, we'll start in verse 23. <laughs> this section takes us to the section of difficulty. A section of difficulty. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Everybody say the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades. And he said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business. Because after all, it's all about the money. I literally had someone tell me that in the middle of a service one time. I had been asked to preach at a college service in a particular denominational church. The guy said, hey, we got the, we got the janitor staff that's coming in here at whatever the time was, 9 o'clock. You got to be out. <clears throat> this is a truthful statement. Grown man over on the side. I'm teaching a group of college kids. The Lord is moving. It's, it's, it's a great time. And he's doing like this. And I'm like, awesome. He's saying, keep going. <laughs> I promise I was. He was like, wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. I was like, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> I got permission. <laughs> After that service, he came and said, look, what are you doing? And I said, you said I could keep going. He said, I said, wrap it up. I was like, promise you, I thought you said keep going. I thought that meant keep rolling, you know. He's like, man, we got, we got to pay the janitors. Man, it's all about the money here, man. You can't do that. You can't go long on a service. And I was like, uh, I'll vacuum the whole place for you. I'll clean it myself. I'll pay them out of pocket. Don't ever say that to me again. The Lord actually broke through, and in that very place, the Holy Spirit was poured out on a bunch of denominational folks that had repercussions, beautiful waves that rippled out for years to come. I got fired on the spot. But <laughs> Don't ever come back. <laughs> but it wasn't the janitor, just okay. Men, you know, you receive a good income from this business. Verse 26. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Hey, that is a powerful testimony. This one dude is stirring up everything everywhere. But by the way, it wasn't just Paul in these places. Lest we think that we can do anything as lone rangers. He had sent two people on ahead he got the direction from the Lord and sent two people on ahead to do some groundwork. You're going to find out that there are other people that are involved in this. There are tons of other people. Absolutely, Paul is at the point. Absolutely, Paul is the apostle. And even Paul didn't do it by himself. How do you think you're going to do by yourself? Can't, that's not how this is designed. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. How dare Paul say that? Oh, because he's giving them truth. There is danger... 
not only that our trade will lose its good name. <laughs> oh, you mean the idol-making trade? Yeah, I mean, we don't want to offend the idol-makers. But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. I promise you, this guy, Demetrius, did not care about the divine majesty of Artemis. He told you what he thought at first. Let's be careful. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As believers here in this church, we can get where we are trained, and once we hear it come out of our mouth, we realize that that wasn't the way we should have said it. So we go back and we try to rework it. Be careful how you say things the first time. Listen to your own heart. Oh, I just didn't say that well. No, you probably said it exactly the way you wanted to say it. And now you're a coward. And now you want to backtrack. When someone brings an objection to me, I think that this and this are the reasons. I listen to even the order that you tell it to me. Because sometimes I find out a whole lot about what you're really thinking. Especially if it comes out and you're, you're upset. I actually kind of like it. Because when you're upset, you're probably being more truthful than when you try to cover it up. Just saying. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Hey, look, there's two more. He already sent Timothy. Now there's uh, Timothy and um, Erastus. And you've got two more here where his traveling companions. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, verse 30, but the disciples would not let him. When you have people around you, they will help you make the right decisions when they're godly people. Paul was like, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go talk to them all. Um, we saw it on Sunday, the picture, uh, a, a theater with between 24 and 25,000 seats. The road that led from the harbor right to this theater. That's where all these people are going. That's where they're taking them. That's where the people start getting into a frenzy. The whole city of approximately a quarter million people know. And this is where he's like, I'll talk to them all. I'm not afraid of them. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, Paul. This is actually not good. Why? Because God had given them direction before. There actually was a plan involved. And this difficulty was not to undo what God had already told him to do. He had a direction to go. The assembly was in confusion. By the way, it is not uncommon for even people who are trying to attack you. If you, if you want to try to defeat people with logic, you'll always fail. You know why? Because it's not about logic. These people are in confusion. Some are shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. <laughs> oh! Are these the good guys or the bad guys? We watched, it. we watched an old Western movie last night, and Anna was sitting there with us. She's like, are these the good people or the bad people? I was like, they're the good people. She was like, okay, yay! Because <laughs> if they were bad, I'd fuss. Yes, right. That's the way they are here. Are these the good guys? No, they're the bad. Right? They don't know what's going on. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. <laughs> I love this picture. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
the anti-Semitism arose even here in Acts chapter 19. Two hours. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? They all went down to the NRG stadium. They crowded into the stadium. They're shouting, not even know what's going on, and they all get unified in hatred. Oh, that's a Jew? Oh, I know what we're going to say now. We're going to worship another God, and we're going to put it in your face for the next two hours violently. Golly, that description that I just said sounds like a movie. Hmm. I don't mean a movie in particular. I just mean a movie in general. Where we sit there and we watch someone else cry out to their God for about two hours. Interesting. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything. You have brought these men here, though they have not robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. They go through and they settle the matter. Look in verse, chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye. You know why? Because <laughs> he had direction. He moves on to the next one. Let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll wrap it up here. 2 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5. I was just kidding. Okay. Starting in verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. It says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. Everybody say alert. alert. And self-controlled. Everybody say self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith. The word that came forth tonight was to put on, to take up your shield of faith, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. <laughs> Reminding us of Ephesians 6. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Our hope is, is that we can get to the point where the difficulties that we're facing. Uh, one, one more scripture. Matthew 5, uh, 10. <clears throat> it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's one thing to have difficulty. It's one thing to have difficulty because you're being righteous. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next verse. Blessed are you when people insult you. You should feel blessed. Persecute you 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they prosecuted, persecuted the prophets who were before you. One more verse. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? The difficulties that we have here. As Paul walked through this in one chapter, he gives us this pathway. He ends up, he ends up riling the, the very demonic forces of the region. He, he awakens them. They start screaming, great is Artemis for hours, because this difficulty was brought on because of righteousness, because of a godly direction, because of a stand for holiness. This is where we should be. We are the salt of the earth. Would you guys stand with me?